You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Last week, we started a brand new Wednesday night series on a journey through the Bible. We're going to cover every book. Some books will not take us very long. Uh, Other books might take us a little bit longer, but we're not going to cover every chapter. We certainly are not going to cover every verse. This is an overview. I want all of us, when this series is done, I want us to feel like we have a better grasp on the Bible as a whole. Now, I think it's good to know certain passages. Uh, I preached a lot last year from the Gospels, and I love the Gospels. I I I love the Gospels, but I felt like I hadn't preached them as much as I did this last year. But that helped me immensely. Uh, I love the Psalms. I love the Proverbs. I I love it all, really. But I guess whatever I'm reading at the time is my favorite. But I want us to have a good understanding of the whole Bible and how it fits together. We said last week that there were approximately... How many authors, how many different uh, human authors were responsible for the writing of the Bible? Somebody help me out. It's about 40. And we said those 40 authors wrote over a period of time about how long? 1,500 years. And then, though the Bible was written on three different continents, it was written in three different languages... And it all fits together perfectly. It's almost like it fits like it had one author instead of 40. It's almost like it fits like it wasn't written by a bunch of men who disagreed on stuff, but it was written by God, who is not the author of confusion, but who is the author and finisher of our faith. And I'm thankful that we have the Word of God. We talked last week, I gave you some statistics or uh, some, uh, some breakdowns of the books. There are 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And then we saw uh, how they are categorized or how they are classified with the different groups. Tonight, I'd like to give you a few thoughts as we get into the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn to Genesis 1, we're going to go there in just a minute. And I, Well, you can go there now, but we're going to get there in just a minute. But as you're turning there, I want to challenge us. This is not homework. I'm not going to give you a grade. I'm not going to make you feel bad if you don't do it. But I want to challenge every one of us in this auditorium, everyone who's listening, maybe you couldn't make it tonight, you're not feeling well or with your work schedule or whatever, everybody on the radio, I want to encourage us as God's people to memorize the names of the books of the Bible in order from Genesis to Revelation. Now, some of you, you already know it, but maybe you need to review a little bit. Maybe you just need to refresh your memory. For some, this is going to be a big assignment because you've never done it. But I want to encourage you, little by little, to start saying the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation so that when somebody says a book, you in your mind, you know exactly where it is. You know which book is before it. You know which book is after it. Uh, For example, let's give us a quiz tonight. And and let's see how quick you can be, okay? Which book comes right immediately before 2 Timothy? (laughs) Folks, I set you up. I set you up for a slow pitch right over the plate, and you stood there and you watched it. 
All right, let's try another one. Which book comes immediately before, right immediately before 3 John? Oh, good. We're, we're getting it now. Um, but you get the idea, okay? I think you get the idea. But I want us to be able to get those books and to know those books. This Bible uh, is an amazing book. It was written by God. Here are a few interesting facts about the Bible. Of course, the Bible has 66 books. It has 1,189 chapters. There are 31,175 verses. By the way, that's why you want to read the Bible through in a year. You're not going to read it through in a day. Um, but you read it three or four chapters every day, and you can get through the whole Bible in a year. The middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118 and verse 8. The longest verse in the Bible is Esther 8-9. You, you read that verse sometime, you're going to say, well, that's as long as some chapters. I mean, it's a long one, but that's the longest verse in the Bible. The shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35. Does anybody know what that verse says? You are a good memorizing group. You've already got that one down. Our uh, assistant pastor in uh, California, Brother Harold, used to always say, he said, I'm working on memorizing John eleven thirty five. 35. He said, so far, I've got John eleven thirty five 35a. And when I get that one down, I'm going to work on John eleven thirty five 35b. But he said, I've got A so far, which, you know, it's, there's only two words, Jesus wept. But nonetheless, the shortest verse. I thought that was very funny when he said it, but apparently you didn't think it was that funny uh, this time. Uh, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And if you remember a while back, we went through Psalm 119 and it took us many weeks to get through it. Uh, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It's all about the word of God. The shortest uh, chapter, and it is also the middle chapter of the Bible, is Psalm 117. Just a, an interesting uh, tidbit there. The longest name in the Bible, and by the way, the, the, the Glovers cannot use this for their baby boy. The longest name in the Bible, it was the son of Isaiah. His name was Meher Shalal Hasbaz. He was, uh, which is, by the way, 18 letters in Isaiah. You can find his name, the longest name. And then there is one book in the Bible that in the entire book, it does not mention the name of God. Does anybody know which book that is? It's the book of Esther. And what's amazing is when you read through Esther, you can't help but see God at work in that entire book. But God is not mentioned. And it's an amazing, we'll get there in a long time, we'll be in Esther, don't worry. But when we get there, we'll see that that book shows us that even when you can't see it, God is at work. And I want to tell you, God is working in your life. He's working in my life. God is doing so much behind the scenes. We have no idea, but God is at work. Let's look at Genesis. Let me give you a few thoughts about Genesis tonight, and I'll try to keep rolling. We'll see how much we can cover. Genesis was written by Moses. We, we know that. And it was written approximately uh, around 1450 B.C. Now, the book of Genesis ends, Genesis 50, and Moses isn't even born, okay? But Moses uh, was given the words to write from God uh, for the entire 
creation, all the way up until Genesis chapter 50 with the children of Israel uh, getting into Egypt. Genesis is a book of beginnings, and we're going to look at that here in a moment. I thank God for new beginnings. We are experiencing right now a new year. Praise God for a new year. Praise God for a new month. Uh, Praise God for a new week. Praise God for a new day. Aren't you glad that no matter how bad today is, tomorrow is another day. And uh, I'm glad that God's mercies are new every morning. But Genesis is a book of beginnings. We see in Genesis there are three specific promises that God makes for Abraham concerning his people. Number one, God promised in Genesis that he would bless Abraham. He said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And he said, I will make thee a blessing. Now, the nation of Israel has blessed this world in many ways. It's interesting, even some of the technology and some of the inventions that have come out of Israel, that little, that little tiny country, but God has promised he would bless them. But I think we all know the greatest blessing that has ever come out of Israel was not an invention, it was a person by the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And indeed, Israel has been a blessing to all nations. But not only did God promise that Israel would receive a great blessing and be a great blessing, he promised that Israel would be a great nation. If you want to jot down these references, the blessing is promised in Genesis 12. The fact that Israel would be a great nation, it is promised in Genesis 13, 6, where God told Abraham, your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. Now keep in mind, Abraham did not even have a son by Sarah until he was 100 years old. And that's where Abraham thought, there's no way this is going to happen. God made this promise, but this one ain't coming true. Well, I got news for you. God always keeps his promises, and God kept him with Abraham. They promised, God promised that Israel would be a great blessing. They would be a great nation. But then in Genesis 15, 8, God promised that he would give to Israel a great land. Now, If you watch any news or listen to any news or read any news about the Middle East, you know that is still a source of contention over the land. And they are fighting constantly. That's exactly what's going on right now uh, in Gaza. And they're fighting over that land. They're saying, if Israel conquers that land, then they cannot take possession of that land. Oh, they are fighting tooth and nail for that land. But here's the interesting thing. I challenge you to, at some point, look in the back of your Bible or even go to a world map. Here is what God promised to Israel in Genesis 15. He said that they would have the land from the river of Egypt all the way to the great river Euphrates. Now, hang on. You know what's included in that? Well, obviously, it's some of Egypt because the great river of Egypt But also included in that is Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, part of Iraq. And do you realize that what Israel's got now is just a tiny sliver of all that? But God promised them 
more than that. And by the way, that's what the whole uh, battle is going to be about uh, when it comes to uh, Armageddon, when the, the nations of Israel, that they're, they're fighting over that one spot in the valley of Megiddo, and Jesus Christ will come back. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to win. He's going to conquer. He's going to set up his kingdom. And guess how much land Israel's going to have then? Every last bit that God has promised them, God will deliver that. You see, um, uh, uh, there are three promises specifically. Next, we see in Genesis, if you're taking notes, this is just a little introduction about Genesis. Genesis contains several messianic prophecies. Now, when we think of messianic prophecies, sometimes we think about the Psalms. Uh, psalm 22 uh, which is the really the crucifixion psalm or psalm 24 the triumphal entry psalm we think of some of those or we think about isaiah or we think about zechariah and some of these minor prophets or we think about uh, daniel and these but no no in genesis god gives us specific messianic prophecies and it starts in genesis chapter 3 i want you to notice with me genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 it says in verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. God is talking there to the serpent, to Satan, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head. Speaking of the woman's seed, it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. That was prophetic. Because on the cross, Satan did bruise the heel of Jesus. Satan did get in his best lick. He got in his best shot. He tried to crucify Jesus. He tried to stick him in a grave. And he tried to seal that grave. And he tried to keep him in that grave. And he did succeed in bruising the heel. Oh, but guess what? Jesus Christ bruised the head of Satan when he conquered death and he conquered hell and he conquered the grave. And that's just a foretaste of the lick or the licks that are coming to Satan when Satan is bound and Satan is cast into a lake of fire and Jesus Christ will permanently bruise his head. And so the prophecy begins in Genesis 3. You see, the Bible is all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about a prophet, it's not about a priest, it's not about a great man, it's not about a great woman, it is all about Jesus. And all the scriptures from Genesis point to Jesus, and all the scriptures from Revelation, they point to Jesus. They meet in the middle, and Jesus is the focus of this book. And so as you read this book, in every book of the Bible, you will find Jesus. You will find that he is illustrated. You will find that he is mentioned. You will find that everything points to Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Genesis 3. Notice with me Genesis chapter 12. Here's another messianic prophecy. That from the Jews, from the nation of Israel, from Abraham, from his seed, there would come a Messiah. We already mentioned it, but in Genesis 12, 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And through Abraham and through his seed, 
there was the greatest blessing that ever came, and that was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then notice with me, if you will, Jesus uh, would come from the seed of Abraham. He would come through Isaac and come through Jacob. And in Genesis 25 and verse 23, here's a verse I want you to see. Genesis 25 and verse number 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So Isaac and Rebekah, they had twins, right? They had Jacob and Esau. And although Esau was the older one, God promised that the older one, Esau, was going to serve the younger one, Jacob. And Jacob's name would be changed to what? To Israel. And Jacob would be uh, the father of the Israelites. And from Jacob would come the Messiah. And by the way, from Esau, you've got a lot of these Middle Eastern countries that can trace their roots back to Esau. And yet Jesus would not come from Esau. Jesus would come from Jacob and his line. And then you get to Genesis 49 and verse 10. And we see that Jacob has 12 sons. And in Genesis 49, verse number 10, we find that Jesus will come not from the line of Joseph, which that's probably the one I would have picked, right? Joseph was a man that was a man used by God. The Spirit of God was with him. But God didn't pick Joseph. You know who God picked for Jesus to come through his line? A man by the name of Judah, one of Jacob's sons. Notice in Genesis 49, verse 10, and this, I, I've, I've preached this years ago. I won't preach it tonight. I, have, I don't even have time to talk about it. But Judah was a man who had some awful, awful failures. But aren't you glad that God can use people with awful failures? Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Aren't you thankful that God can use people that are just a bunch of sinners and a bunch of people that make mistakes and a bunch of people that don't have it all together? Aren't you glad that God can do that? He did it in Judah. Genesis 49 and verse 10. The Bible says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Who is Shiloh? Shiloh is a name for the Messiah. And in Genesis 49, it is predicted, it is prophesied that the Messiah would come from Judah, who would come from Jacob, who would come from Isaac, who would come from Abraham, uh, who in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We see the messianic prophecies that are contained in Genesis. Next, I want you to see quickly, I want you to look back at Genesis 1, and I want to look for a minute at the creation. You, you, you can't study the Bible. You can't study uh, Genesis without going to Genesis 1-1. Because if you can't get Genesis 1-1 right, then you're not going to get anything else right. Genesis 1-1. Are you ready? In the beginning, who? God. And that's what you got to know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, that's where a lot of people get off. That's where a lot of people have problems because people don't want to be accountable to a creator. That's why people will believe craziness like evolution. 
That's why people will believe uh, 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 myths like the Big Bang Theory. It doesn't make any sense. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in God. But if you believe Genesis 1-1 and you believe there is a creator, then that means you are accountable to that creator. And that, mean you, that means you got to do what the creator says. And that means that there is a judgment coming. And that means you better make sure that your life is in line with what the creator, what the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the originator has said of how you should live. But we see creation. Genesis was written, we said about 1450 BC, but creation took place around 4000 BC. I read a very interesting article, and if you, if you ever get the chance to look at online, you can see lots of articles from Answers in Genesis. It's an amazing uh, ministry. They've got so much about creation and about the earth and about science and about nature. But Answers in Genesis, I read an amazing article recently about the date of creation. And by the way, this isn't just some, somebody just stabbing in the dark. These are people who have studied the civilizations and have studied the Bible. And, and their best estimate is that creation took place around 4,000 B.C. So that's about 6,000 years ago. The book of Genesis, now listen to this. The book of Genesis covers approximately 2,100 years of history. Now that's amazing because the rest of the Bible from Exodus to Revelation only covers about 1800 years. So one book covers over 2000 years and the other 65 books cover less than 2000 years together. That is amazing. From Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, there is a period of time of almost 2000 years. And what's amazing is God gives us 11 chapters and he gives us the names. And some of these guys, by the way, some of these guys live to be eight and 900 years. We'll talk about that probably a little bit next week uh, of how that was even possible. We might get to it tonight. We'll see how we're doing. But we see in Genesis, the creation about 4,000 BC. We see the beginning of the heavens and the earth. We see the animals are made. We see all of that in creation. Let's go quickly in Genesis 1, and let's look at the days of creation. On the first day, God created light. And aren't you glad he created light? Praise the Lord, we don't have to live in darkness. We can live in physical light. And by the way, we all need to come to a point where we enter into spiritual light where our eyes are open, where our scales fall off, and where we believe the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. But on the first day, God created the light. The second day, God created space and water. We would say the sky and the atmosphere. I want you to notice in Genesis 1 and verse number uh, 6, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse 7, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. That is an interesting study. And to be honest with you, we're not exactly sure how all that looked, but before the flood, this earth had a greenhouse-type effect. 
I mean, how else can you explain that people were living uh, after the fall, after, uh, after, after uh, 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 all of that, uh, after sin in the garden? How, how else could we say that people could live for eight, nine hundred years uh, on a sin-cursed earth except there was a greenhouse effect? Uh, and it's interesting how that the Bible says the waters during the flood, they came up. And then the Bible says, and God opened the windows of heaven and the waters came down. It's very interesting, but God created on the second day the sky and the atmosphere, created space and water. On the third day, God created plant life. On the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. I love what it says in verse number 16. And if you're listening to Enjoying the Journey by Brother Scott Paul, I haven't listened to all of them, but I've heard a few. He made a mention of this also in verse number 16, that God talks about the sun and the moon And then it just says, and he made the stars also. Do you know how many stars there are? Nope, and nobody does. There are billions and billions of stars, and it just gets a few words. Oh, yeah, and God made the stars. What an amazing God. What a powerful God. God made the the sun, the moon, the stars. uh, And then the fifth day, God made the fish and the birds. On the sixth day, God made land animals. And God created man and say, well, what's the difference between man and everything else? Well, it says in Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 2.7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's what separates us from the animals. That's what separates us from the monkeys. That's what separates us from the birds. That's what separates us uh, from the fish is that God put in us a living soul. God made us in his own image. And we see the creation. What's amazing to me is when God looked at creation, God said, it was good. When God looked at creation, he said, it was very good. Can I remind you tonight, that's everything that God does. Everything he does, he does good. Everything he does in your life, everything he does in my life, it's all good. God is so good. But here's what's interesting also. When God created man, man has a beginning. You and I, we have a beginning. But we have no ending. Because we have an eternal soul. We have an eternal soul that will live somewhere forever. Now, God has no beginning. God is not only eternal from Genesis uh, till the the end, but but, but God never had a beginning. He's eternal from from before and after. We're just eternal from when we were created till forever. But it's amazing to think that when God created us, he made us with an eternal soul. I've got a lot more I'll say next week, but let me just wrap it up. Let me cover just quickly a few thoughts, overviews from the lesson tonight. Number one, Genesis is a book of new beginnings. And I want to tell you, God specializes in new beginnings. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're watching or listening tonight and you need a new start. I got good news for you. God can do it in your life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Secondly, I want to remind you that God kept all of his promises to Abraham. God kept all of his promises to Jacob. 
He kept all of his promises to Isaac. He kept all of his promises to Joseph. He kept his promises to Judah. He kept his promises to Noah. He kept his promises to Adam and Eve. And he will keep every promise he's ever made to you. God always keeps his promises. Number three, not only is God good, but he is great. He said, I will make of thee a great nation. I will make of thee a great blessing. Well, how could God do that? Because he is a great God. And he specializes in great. Number four, we already said this, but this entire book is all about Jesus. That's what it is. You want to read the Bible? Search the scriptures, Jesus said, for they are they which testify of me. And he was talking to the Pharisees, and all they had was the Old Testament. He said, it's all about me. And the Old Testament's all about him, and the New Testament's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And then I see number five, we mentioned this, but God is good. Everything he made was good. God doesn't make a mistake. God doesn't make an, have an accident. God doesn't have an uh-oh moment. God is good, and he is very good. And then lastly, the, it's not a statement, but it's a question, and that is this, where will you spend eternity? God created you with a living soul. God created me with a living eternal soul but God doesn't decide where you will spend eternity he leaves the decision up to you it's your choice that's why the Bible says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that's why the Bible says uh, in uh, Romans 10, 13, a fruit service shall call upon the Lord. That's why it says in uh, uh, um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that it's the gift of God. God doesn't force a gift upon you. God doesn't make you take it. You have to be willing to receive it. If you're here tonight and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you, you will spend eternity somewhere. And if you're not sure where you will spend eternity, that's not something to take a chance on. That's not something to flip a coin. That's not something to say, well, we'll just, well, hopefully everything will work out. Oh, no, 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 no. You may do that at work. You may do that at home, but you can't do that with your soul because forever is a long time. And you must know that you know that you know that you've been born again and that heaven is your home. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.